0: Hi, I'm Ryan Becker, and you're listening to the Rock Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church official sermon archive. You can find more information about our church at www.rockhillsdachurch.org. We hope by listening to this message that you are encouraged and challenged in your walk with Christ. Greetings, church. I hope you're all doing well. I am bringing you a special sermon today that mainly has to do with humility and the family. And the reason that I'm bringing you this sermon now is because it's been about a month since I've been able to be with you again in a preaching capacity, and so I wanted you to hear just a special special message from me as you uh, come into your weekend. And so I want to talk about humility and the family, and we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2 today. Now, when I was a kid, my older brother, who's about three years older than me, and my older sister, who is about nine years older than me, we all shared the same bathroom. And really what this means is that my sister would use the bathroom for about an hour, and my brother and I would fight for the last five minutes like it was a TV on Black Friday. And there are, there, there's something I used to do that would anger my siblings to no end, specifically my brother. And it was this. See, our our shower was a bathtub, and what we would do is we would hang a shower mat over the side so that when when you were done taking a shower, you would set that outside of the sh- outside of the tub, you would step out onto that onto it and you would dry off it so you wouldn't slip or, or get the ground wet. And then when you were done drying off, you would take that mat, you would hang it back over the side of the tub, and you would close the shower curtain and you'd be on your way and i never put it back up and it annoyed my brother to absolutely no end he couldn't stand it and so day after day after day he would come into my room and he would tell me hey you left the mat out again hey you left the shower open again you know what's the point of a shower curtain if it's not actually being showed off or used to display anything at all. If it's just sitting scrunched up on the side of the shower, it's not really doing its job. And so this would be really annoying because if you'd go to the bathroom after someone who'd shower, you might step on that gross, damp shower mat, even though it's not even dirty. It's just weird. It just feels weird. And it's not the way that we did things. And this bothered him to no end. And he was angry with me all the time because I would continually forget to do it. And so This was something that eventually after time and time again of him approaching me on it and him talking to me about it, to this day, now whenever I have this same instance happening in my own place, I always put the mat back up and close the shower curtain when I'm done. And so today I want to talk to you about one reality that every family, whether Christian or non-Christian faces, and it's this, what do you do when someone continually messes up? And so we're going to turn to Philippians chapter two. Now, Paul is writing to the Philippian church, and they're known for their dedication and their love, but they've been having some issues with some improper teachings about Jesus and and the gospel. And so Paul writes to them to clarify some of these things and to encourage them in their love for one another. And so we're going to read Philippians chapter two, and we're going to start in verse one. And he says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And verse 3, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, Paul lays a model out here for how we should treat each other. And it's simple, short, and to the point. And he lays this out to the entire Philippian church. Start loving each other and be in one mind and be in full accord with one another. Not the car, but in harmony with one another. And I'm going to give you just two words that if you take from this message, you will have gotten the point. And if you forget every other part of this message, I would encourage you with this. Humble yourself. That's it. What do you do when someone in your family messes up over and over and over again? You humble yourself. Now I could stop here, but that wouldn't really help you, now would it? See, humble yourself. Great, Pastor Ryan. Super helpful. Because I'm a humble guy. I'm known for my humility. So you're not helping me at all because I know what humility is. See, I get it. If you and I were talking in Walmart, if you and I were talking at a store or in the church, you would would know what humility is. You would understand and know, and you would agree with me that, yeah, I should be humble. The difficulty is how. How do we be humble? How do we deal with these moments when we're angry, when we're hurt, when we're about to give up on a family member because they've kept falling into the sin over and over and over again? Whether it's something big, something huge, something that tears families apart, or something just small and annoying. And so I want to paint a picture for you that I think will help clarify this a little bit. And I'm going, to, I'm going to continue reading because, see, Paul doesn't stop with the exhortation to be humble. He also gives an example of this humility. And so we're going to read in verse 5. We're going to continue reading here. And he says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count quality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbles himself to save the people that continually abandon him, argue with him, hate him, and eventually would kill him. All so that he could forgive them. So let, let that sink in. Jesus is killed by the very people he is trying to forgive. And Jesus did this so that he could offer forgiveness to everyone throughout history who would turn from him. You see, so our humility and our kindness is not found in ourselves. It is found in the example that Christ gave. See, for most of us, we know how to be humble. We know how to be, we know to be humble and we know to be forgiving and otherwise, but it's incredibly difficult to actually follow through on it. And to some of us, whether it's on friendships or family members, we've already cut the cord because we are so fed up with their mistakes, with their habitual turning away, with their betrayal. And so if you have done that already with someone or you were close to and right on that edge where you're saying, you know, I'm so fed up with this, I can't deal with this anymore, the stress is too much, the heartache is too much, the finances are too much, then I fully understand because I've been there before with family. And I understand that desire to cut them off because you're tired of being hurt and you're tired of losing trust. You're angry and you're betrayed constantly and you're sick of it. And I know what it's like to be there because I was there for several years of my life. And so if you're there right now, if you're anywhere even close to there, please listen to the next words to the following portion of this message because I believe it's very significant and it is it is what turned my anger around. Typically, when I talk to people who haven't accepted Christ or have walked away from Christianity or just don't want to return to it, one of the frequent responses I receive is, well, I'm not Hitler or anything. I mean, I'm a pretty good person, so why do I need Christ? And the premise here is that because we are already good following jesus would just make us a little bit better so if i can be satisfied with the goodness that i see in myself now that others see in me now then i don't need jesus and this premise we know is not found anywhere in scripture at all and yet it is also the premise we use when we judge anyone by their actions You see, I'm a good person, I think rationally, and I would never do what they're doing. And I've talked to them over and over and over and over again about this issue. And I have given them chance after chance to say they're sorry and to turn away from their habits. And yet they still refuse and they keep falling back in. Clearly they love their lifestyle more than me. see, this logic is used to compare ourselves to those who wrong us. And if I am better than them, then I don't owe them anything. See, if I already believe that I'm a good person, and because of the way that they're acting, they are not good people, or at least not being good in this instance, then suddenly I've opened the door to superiority or I've said, hey, I'm better because I don't do these things, or because I do things differently, and it's a comparison game. But here is one of the most difficult parts of the gospel to accept, and the one that has troubled us since the beginning of the church. And it's known to many as the offense of the cross. It is this, you and I are no better than anyone else, regardless of what you have or have not done. If you have been forgiven... What right do you have to not forgive anyone else? You see, Scripture does not look at your behavior and your character in light of other people. It looks at your behavior and your character in light of God. And when we are held side by side with God, all of us suddenly fall short. See, if you put me next to a child you'll say, wow, look at how tall Ryan is. Look at how tall Pastor Ryan is. Look at how short that child is. But then if you put me next to Shaquille O'Neal, suddenly you'll say, wow, look at how tall Shaquille O'Neal is, and look at how short Pastor Ryan is. Now, if you put all three of us together, suddenly everyone else is incredibly short in comparison to Shaquille O'Neal. While you may be better at being good than that person who hurts you, while you may be better at not doing the things that they do, while you may live a healthier lifestyle, while you may make better decisions than the person who hurts you, when you both line up next to God, it doesn't matter. Romans three twenty three says that some have sinned harder than others and fallen shorter of the glory of God. Wait a minute. Uh, Sorry, it says um it says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now forgive the sarcasm there, but I I I need you to, to understand this. We need to understand this together because when we are next to the glory of God, all of us fall short and when we recognize that in Christ we are all put on a level playing field, then for any of us to treat anyone as if we are better than them for any reason at all, well, it's the least Christ-like thing that we can do. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 18 about a servant who owes a debt to his master. The debt he owed was about 10,000 talents, and a single talent would be somewhere between 1,000 and 30,000 U.S. dollars. And this man owes his master 10,000 of that. So his master orders for him to be sold in order to pay off at least some of the, the, the losses that he's incurred from this. And the servant begs, falls to his knees, and says, Have patience, and I will pay everything. And out of pity the master releases him and forgives him of the debt then that servant is approached by a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii which in total is about seven thousand dollars that is just a tiny 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 fraction of what the first servant's debt is well the first servant the forgiven servant chokes this second servant, and tells him, hey, you will pay what you owe. And so the second servant falls to his knees and he says, have patience with me, I will pay you. Well, the first servant refused and he had him thrown in jail. And when the master heard about all of this, he said this to the first servant, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. And Jesus ends this story with a very powerful lesson. He says this, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Humility is recognizing your place in the story. See, you and I, we are not the master. We are servants. We are fellow servants alongside each other. And anyone else who owes you a debt, anyone else who's wronged you, is of the same place. When you consider yourself the master, it is not the offense of the cross. It is an offense to the cross. Because you are not the master and I am not the master. We are the servants. Now, listen, don't take this to the other extreme now. I'm not saying there isn't sometimes the need for healthy boundaries when someone wrongs you. I'm not saying that when someone stabs you with a knife, you should trust them with a gun. I'm not saying there aren't consequences for someone's actions, but when we are putting those boundaries in place, we must be incredibly delicate and careful. Those boundaries are a last resort. They are not a first resort. First John 4, 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. And we talked about this just a while ago when Jesus washes the feet of all of the disciples. You see, this love that Jesus loves us with saw Judas the disciple instead of Judas the betrayer. And he washes his feet knowing what Judas is about to do. You see, this is humility, to view the playing field as equal, but to go so far as to serve the ones who hurt you, to actively do good to and for them. This is someone who was God, who has become human and is now washing the feet of his creation, who will eventually betray him. He is doing something good for him. This is the love that Christ exemplifies. This is the love that Paul is referring to. This love that says, I love you so much that even knowing what you are doing or what you are about to do, I still want to serve you and I still want to see you prosper. When we deal with each other on any matter, This is the example we should have in mind. And whenever I remember that Christ died for me despite my sinfulness, I cannot in good conscience hold any grudge against someone else. When you are ready to give up on someone else, when you are ready to give up on an entire church or a job or a boss or a relationship, I would challenge you to remember that Christ Never gave up on you. I'm not saying to just forget some important things that have happened. I'm not saying to just cast aside all of those difficult moments and pretend like everything is happy. I understand that it's hard. And I understand that there are people you can't make eye contact with across a table from. I understand that there are hurts that I don't understand. What I'm saying in regards to all of those moments, all of those issues, is let's approach them with humility knowing what Christ has done for us and motivated to love them the way that Christ has loved us. If you think you understand or if you think you know all about someone's experience, life, or pain, if you think that person is hurting you and you get it and you understand it, then try approaching them and and asking, hey, help me understand this better. In almost every single situation, there is room for all of us to say, hey, I was wrong here, or hey, I'm sorry for for what I did here. And today, maybe there is someone that you need to say you're sorry to because of something that you may have done. Or maybe you need to say sorry for the anger that you've harbored in your heart. And when you leave here, this is your chance to extend that forgiveness or ask for it one more time. Perhaps all of our conversations at home and outside of home would be completely transformed if we would view others as those who can teach us rather than those who we should teach. The one thing I found that transforms almost any conversation at home If you're a parent, then over lunch, dinner or breakfast, ask your children, hey, what's one thing that you want to teach me? What's one thing that you wish I knew? And children, you can ask your parents at the same time, what's the most important thing that you want me to know? Or what is something that you want to teach me? And here's the thing, listen to their response maybe you don't want to do what they're offering to teach you or maybe you don't want to listen to it but what you've opened the door to is quality time time that you don't get again Wednesday, October 5 was a very important day for my family and it was the 6 year anniversary of my dad's death And my last words to him were two days before he died when I told him, thank you for lunch. And it bugs me every single day that I denied opportunities to spend time with him, to learn from him, and more. If only I wasn't too cool as a teenager to hang out with my dad, and if only I didn't think I had outgrown my dad when I was only 17, 16, 15 years old. While we are here, and while we are together, we should seek every opportunity for reconciliation and healing. But Pastor Ryan, you don't get it. See, I think rationally, and I would never do what they're doing. I've talked to them over and over and over again about this issue, and I have given them chance after chance, and yet they still refuse, and they keep falling into these old habits. Clearly, they love their lifestyle more than me, so I'm giving up. They keep telling me they'll change, and yet they continually fail to do so. I'm done. You don't know what it's like to be in my family. So I'm giving up. Imagine how much different Christianity would look if Jesus said that to us. But he never has. You see, Christ humbled himself to love us, and he always has and always will love us. And now he's put the ball in your court. It's your turn and it's my turn to show that same love to someone else. So may we be more humble as we seek to love better.